Turn your Bibles to Acts chapter 2, and uh, I couldn't hear very well back there. Did somebody say their passion was going to dinner? Because that's my passion too. But that's not what she said. No, okay. Acts chapter 2. Um, before we jump into that and, and Pentecost, we have some good friends here from uh, New Zealand, Andrew and Christina DeVries and their family. They are on long service leave from the Reformed Church of New Zealand and um, are here three weeks with us, and Andrew will be preaching next Sunday. So please, you, you really want to hear him preach. It's a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity, <laughs> and he's fantastic. So we're so thankful that they would, of all the places in the world they could go, they came to Dothan, Alabama to rest. And so if you get an opportunity just to say hello to them, please, please do that. Acts chapter 2, um, when the day of Pentecost arrived, the disciples of Jesus were in the upper room and they were waiting and they were, they were expecting something. Now, to understand what they were doing, you, you need to get a big picture. And I'll, I'll try to paint this for you. There, there were three major Old Testament feasts. Okay, so there was, there was Passover, then there was Pentecost, and then there were tabernacles. Now, I want you to say those three with me. Passover, okay, let's try that again. Passover, Pentecost, Tabernacles. Those are the three major feasts, and they're all fulfilled and look forward to the work of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And each of them had various meanings. So each of them had a historical meaning, what happened in history. Then they each had a a natural meaning and a, a prophetic look at what was going to happen. So let me explain. So you had Passover, the first, and of course the historical meaning was when Israel was in Egypt and they were enslaved and the the spirit of death passed them over. Now the the natural meaning was as they celebrated the feast of that every year, it was the early harvest that came in. And then they were looking forward a, a prophetic Lamb of God who would be sacrificed for them. Of course, that was Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, sacrificed during the Passover. Okay, so now 50 days after you had Pentecost. Okay, the the historical meaning of Pentecost is when Moses went up on the mountain and he was given the law and he came down and he brought the law and he gave it to God's people. The natural meaning was it was the grain harvest, the, the big harvest. And then the prophetic looking forward was when God was going to give His Holy Spirit. Not just the law written on tablets, but the Holy Spirit was going to come. That's Pentecost. Tabernacles then was Egypt, uh, or the Jews in the desert, and they've got the promise of going into the land, but they're waiting. And they, they live in tabernacles or booths, you might say, well, they're waiting. And so they celebrated that every year. The the natural celebration was the fruit harvest that was going on. But the prophetic was looking forward to, like Isaiah says in chapter 66, a new heavens and a new earth when we would come into the land permanently. And that's us. That's us waiting now for God's people. For God's people to come into heaven. For heaven to come down on earth. So, Passover is now finished. Acts 2. 
The Lamb of God has been killed. He's risen from the dead, Jesus. He's ascended into heaven. And before he ascends, he commands them, don't leave Jerusalem, he says, because God's Spirit's coming. In other words, Pentecost is coming. Stay and wait. So now we see the disciples. They're in the upper room during Pentecost, and they're waiting for the promise of God. And we've already read that text, and so I'll just pray. Please pray with me. Father, we praise you that just, the, just like Hebrews says, everything in the Old Testament is a shadow of what Jesus was going to do. It's a picture of what's to come. Father, we thank you for Pentecost, the Holy Spirit being poured out upon your people. And every true believer who's born again is marked by that Spirit, sealed by the Holy Spirit. The mark that we are yours, and we praise you, Father. And at the same time, Lord, we are looking forward to coming into the land, the new heavens and the new earth, while we wait in the wilderness of this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Teach us now more. Give us a greater knowledge of who you are and what you've done. And let the response be adoration and worship this wonderful Sabbath day. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. In the year 1255, Niccolo and Matteo Polo, the father and uncle of Marco Polo, They left Venice, representing the Catholic Church, and they traveled to the east. Now, the greatest empire of the day was the Young Dynasty, better known as the great Khans, Chinggis Khan and Kubla Khan. And the desire of the Polo brothers was to bring Christianity to Asia, the Catholic Church to Asia. But when they entered the capital of the Khans, what they found there astonished them. There was a Christian church there already, built by Chinggis Khan for his wife, who was from a Christian tribe called the Karyats. Now, how did an Asian tribe in 1100 or earlier hear the gospel, not from the Catholic church, apart from the Catholic church, and were saved? Well, it it all started at, at Pentecost in Acts 2. It is the Feast of Pentecost here. Jews and Gentiles who have been converted, they've all come to Jerusalem from all around the world to participate in the feast and in the worship. And there in a a tiny upper room, the Holy Spirit is being poured out and He is filling the disciples. Now, there, there are huge crowds outside and these simple disciples are able to proclaim the wonders of God, which mean the gospel truths in everybody's native language. And their response is, how can this be? What in the world is going on? Now, you need to notice, the Spirit is moving in amazing ways, filling the believers with new power, new ability to speak other languages. But also notice this. It's not random acts of power. It's not, they're not meaningless words. 
It's not just emotions and noise. The work of the Spirit is full of purpose and meaning. He gave them utterances or words about the mighty works of God. In other words, they are testifying to the death, the resurrection, the ascension of Jesus, the Messiah, as the Son of God in all the languages that people could hear and understand. Okay? But Rusty, how do I judge the work of the Spirit and my emotions, my desires, and my heart? It's a great question. Now listen, the the church has gone from one extreme to the other often. Different cultures have taken different stances. So there have been times in the church where they have looked at the highest emotions, the strongest experiences as the only true sign that you're really converted. But the source of those emotions and experiences often are never questioned. Christians then feel that if they are not raised at all times with amazing zeal and constant talk of Jesus, then they're not full of the Spirit and maybe not born-again believers. We've been there in the church before. Now, on, on the other hand, and in a very, very different church background and setting and culture, you have nothing but suspicion in any display of excitement or emotion. Partly because they've seen abuses there. So the work of Christ and His Spirit has little to do with emotion and all to do with the will. The mind, the knowledge, the understanding is what's emphasized. Emotion can't be trusted, but knowledge can. And therefore the result is any display of emotion in worship is avoided like the plague. (laughs) Now, the truth is, the work of the Holy Spirit brings light and it brings heat in our life. The work of the Holy Spirit brings light or truth of the knowledge of God, but it also brings heat. It warms our desires, our emotion, our affections to want to love and worship Jesus. So here's the main idea today. The work of the Spirit always brings light and heat in the life of God's people. Always. It's not just one. It's not just the other. It's both. Okay? Should we dive into this? Okay, give me, I need some heat is what I'm looking for there. I'm going to give a little light. I need you to respond with some heat. Okay, here's point one. The Spirit came with power. If you would, look in your Bibles with me. Chapter 2 of Acts, verses 1 to 2. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. Stop. Notice they were all together. Pentecost was happening. The streets would be full. People from all over the world, the known world, and the disciples, maybe the 120 of Acts 1, maybe less, are all together in the upper room and they're waiting like a person expecting the morning, waiting for dawn. And they're doing just what Jesus told them to do. Wait for the Holy Spirit to be poured out. Now there's lots of similarities here between Moses who went up on the mountain 
The first Pentecost, he received the law. His people were waiting below, and he came down and gave it to him. Jesus Christ died. He rose again. He went into heaven. His people are here at the second Pentecost, and they're waiting for him to give the Holy Spirit. Do you see that? And he promised, John 17, 7, if I go, I'll send him. I'll send him. And then a sound came. Look in your Bibles. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven. Jesus had just ascended into heaven, and suddenly as they waited, abruptly they hear a sound. And it says it's like a violent rushing wind that filled the entire house where they were staying. So it was like a cyclone. It was like a hurricane in the entire house. The loudest of noise. But it wasn't just a noise. It was visible. Look there. There appeared to them tongues as is of fire, which divided amongst them and rested on each one of them. Okay. Why fire? Well, let's just, let's just divide this up a little bit. Why fire? Well, Moses, the giver of law, describes God like a consuming fire in Deuteronomy 4. God dwelt with his people in the wilderness like a cloud in the day and a pillar of fire at night. God appeared to Moses like a burning bush in Exodus 3, like a fire. When Jesus came on the scene as the Messiah, he says in Luke 3, I will baptize you with the Spirit and with it'll be like fire. And when Jesus appears to him in Acts 1, he says, don't leave The Holy Spirit is going to be baptized upon you. So the Spirit divided and it rested on each one of them. And the appearance was like a tongue of fire. In other words, like fire in all its brightness and all its light and glory, but no burning. You say, okay, why a tongue of fire? And the reason is because it's Pentecost, right? The Feast of the Harvest. The lamb has been slayed. The gospel will go forth to all tongues, all peoples. And these disciples were about to participate in the harvest by preaching the gospel in all the different tongues where people could understand. In other words, it was a picture of what was just about to happen. The harvest. And so they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Having been washed by the lamb, they're now filled with the Holy Spirit. You know, when I was a young lifeguard, uh, I worked at a Methodist camp in North Alabama. And for years, when you worked at this old Methodist camp, we lived in a junky old cabin on the side of a hill. But they expected you to be initiated as a lifeguard. And so you didn't know this was coming. So one night, I was woken up in the middle of the night and drug out of bed and blindfolded. And they'd been saving all the nasty leftover food for weeks. And it had ripened. And then they just proceed to dump it over you. And then they're nice. They take you down to the lake and they throw you in. And then you come back. And they're all asleep like nothing ever happened except for that big pile of nasty old food that you step over to get back into the house. To be a lifeguard there, you were initiated For the person who's become a Christian, the baptism of the Holy Spirit 
is your initiation into the body of Christ. The church. No one is a member of the body of Christ until they are initiated into the body with the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Well, okay, Rusty, I'm not sure I understand all that. Well, maybe you can feel confused about being filled with the Holy Spirit. Let me just clarify a few things. You can have the Spirit and still be filled with the Holy Spirit. Did you know that? Here, Luke uses a particular Greek word that shows not a long-term filling, but a short-term, powerful working of the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see in the book of Acts, that Peter receives the Holy Spirit, and then he's filled again and again and again. Acts 4.8, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Acts 41, and when they had prayed, the place was filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts 13.52, and the apostles were filled with the Holy Spirit. So Peter was baptized in the Spirit, and yet he was repeatedly filled again and again and again when he's going to be used by God to preach the Gospel to heal. He's filled with power. Now my friends, when you come to Christ, you have received the Holy Spirit. It's His initiation into the church. And now you are commanded to walk in, be led by, live by the Holy Spirit, and the Spirit will come upon you for extraordinary seasons and extraordinary times. Or maybe even your times of weakness, the Holy Spirit will come upon you. And He will give you strength for what is ahead that He sees you need. Or in certain ways, He wants to lead you. And when you have those certain times, you don't say, oh, have I ever had the Holy Spirit? No, you look at Acts and you say, I'm being filled for certain purposes to glorify God. Let's go to the second thing. So what purpose did the Spirit have here in filling them? Let's move from power to His purpose. Look in verse 5 and 6 with me in your Bibles. Verse 5 and 6. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. So in Jerusalem were devout men, Jews and Gentile believers from all over the known world. And at the sound of these mighty winds, when they hear this cyclone, a crowd gathers. Now here is why the Spirit came upon them like tongues of fire. Because they began to speak in all the languages of the people. Now, there's a lot going on here. In Genesis, one of the results of man's sin was separation, division. Right? We talked about the story of Babel. People were divided by languages and cultures. At Pentecost, the Feast of the Grain Harvest, celebrating the giving of God's law to the Jews, the Spirit is poured out into their lives to restore people and the world to unity. The Gospel is for every nation to bring a harvest of one people, one Spirit, one baptism, one faith. That's why God invented Pentecost. And brought all these nations to one place and gave the believers the very words to speak to them. Now notice what they say when they hear this. There's three questions. Look in your Bibles. 
They say, are these not Galileans first? Second, how is it that each of us hears them speaking in our own language? And third, they say, what in the world does this mean? So they say first, aren't these just simple Galileans? You see, the standard language of the Jews was Hebrew and Aramaic. And so what they're asking is, how can these simple country Jews, country folks, speak to us in our own language? And the amazing thing is, not just that they were speaking a multitude of different languages, but that they knew what language to speak. You have to catch that. It's not just they were speaking random languages. They were speaking the languages that needed to be spoken. So the second question is, how is it each hears in his own language? In other words, how do they know what language to speak in? That's what they're asking. How do they know that I am an Egyptian Jew and speak Egyptian and I hear them speaking of the gospel in my language? How is this happening? And the final question is, what does this mean? Well, this is something incredible that God is doing. This is obviously a miracle. What does it mean? And Peter tells him what it means. And Joel, when he preaches, he quotes Joel too. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. In other words, this is the promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out. So, verse 11, the purpose then is power. Notice what he says. We hear them telling in our own language the mighty works of God. The Spirit, power, has a purpose. These words had meaning to testify to the mighty works of God. I'm Sure that what they were saying was centered on the greatness of who God was. So the question then arises, how do you discern the Spirit? How do you understand if the Holy Spirit is working in a situation that you might encounter? I I can remember I was living in Asia and there was one night in a village where we had seen 10 young men and women who professed faith and were going to join the church. And so before they did, we were going to have a prayer service for them. And they were all gathered there. And in that prayer service, one woman who professed to be a believer stood up and she started speaking in tongues very loudly. And it got louder the longer she went. And then suddenly, She started spinning. I felt like I was at a Grateful Dead concert a little bit. She started spinning like this, around and around, worked herself in a frantic, and she fell to the ground and started going into convulsions. Was that of the Holy Spirit? Because those ten people didn't think so, and they left. (laughs) And they didn't join the church, and they didn't profess their faith in Christ. Now, maybe you've never experienced... A situation like that. But how do you discern when the Holy Spirit is working or if something is from the Holy Spirit in your life? Well, here is one great way of discerning the Spirit's work of God. His work always reveals the greatness of God. That's it. It always displays the glory of Christ. It's John 16, 14. He will glorify me for He will take what is mine and declare it to you. 
The Holy Spirit will take what is of Jesus, the glory of Jesus, and he will declare it. That's what he does. And so every work or act of the Holy Spirit is in one way or another declaring or showing the greatness of who Jesus is. And if you don't see the greatness of who Jesus is and there's something that is said to be of the Spirit, it's not of the Spirit. It's of the flesh. How do we think and live this? Let's take this from our head to our heart. And let's just close with this last thought. At Pentecost, law gives way to spirit. And you should say, amen! Law gives way to spirit. Okay? Moses, at the first Pentecost, went on to the mountain. He received the law. He gave it to his people. He came down. Jesus rose. He went into heaven. And he gave the spirit to his people also waiting. The lamb was slain. Christ has fulfilled the law. And at the first Pentecost was the giving of the law, God's word. Now at the second Pentecost was the giving of the spirit to fulfill it. Okay, Rusty, I get that. What about law and spirit now? Are you saying the law has no role or no place in my life? It is solely by spirit. Well, there's what I'm saying. You are free from the requirements of perfect obedience to be saved, but not free from its guidance and direction on how to live a life of obedience to God. I'll say it like this. You're free from its curses, but you're not free from its commands. It is still God's will. It will always be good and show us how to live in this world. So now we live by the Spirit that gives life rather than the law that gives condemnation. Romans 8.2 the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. Jesus fulfilled the righteous requirements of the law. Now we live according to the Holy Spirit if you're a believer. So we set our minds not on the condemnation of the law, but all the good things of the Spirit. The Spirit bears witness with our spirit that you're children of God if you're a Christian. The lawgiver is now dwelling in us, writing His will, not on stone tablets, on your very heart. Now this is incredibly important when you realize that we are like Israel now after Pentecost. We are living in the wilderness. We're waiting for deliverance for the promised land to come. And He's given us the Holy Spirit to do that well. Last thought. If you are a believer, Jesus Christ has fulfilled all three of these feasts for you. And you should leave here today wanting to worship Him for it. Passover for my sins. You have been washed. The Lamb of God has come. Pentecost, He's not left you alone. You are not orphans. He has filled you with the Holy Spirit and there is a harvest in the world going on. In tabernacles, the work of God is not finished. We have to remember that there is a new heavens and a new earth coming. And while we wait in the wilderness of the world, He gives us the Spirit, yet we long to enter the promised land. You could almost say we live on the other side of Pentecost, but not yet in the tabernacles. We haven't entered the land. Let's pray. Father, I just I thank you for Jesus who 
gave us these amazing feasts, they all point towards what he was going to do. I praise you, Lord, that you've sent a lamb. You've sent a sacrifice, a substitute for the worst of people to be cleansed and declared righteous by grace through faith alone. Lord, thank you, though, you didn't just leave us like orphans, like the disciples were so fearful of, but yet you marked us with the Holy Spirit. We are born again if we're a Christian. Jesus is in us. And Father, thank you that there is a hope. Tabernacles. We live now in the wilderness of this world, empowered by the Holy Spirit to live an obedient and changed life. But Father, we know that our Savior is coming again to transform this world. And we praise you and we say, Jesus, come and come quickly. And it's in the name of our Savior that we pray. Amen.